Alright, welcome back. Episode 2 of the Crew Car Podcast. Braden White Cotton and my friend Michael Collins. Coming back from West Palm Beach. Going home. Had a great day. Exploring and spent the day at the West Palm Beach Boat Show. But uh, I want to have Mike tell you a little bit about his new adventure. He's starting off uh, as an Envoy Regional Pilot. But um, step back a little while. Uh, guess tell tell everybody about your your flight history and how you got into aviation and where you started flying oh certainly yeah so uh again my name is mike collins live here in uh vera beach florida i've been flying on and off for uh, approximately nine years now and um decided to go full-time back in 2015 um i was working in the healthcare industry and um Aviation was really taken off, and I had uh, obtained my private pilot's license up in Vermont, and I was at a small Part 61 school up in Burlington, Vermont, and I um, decided to go at it full-time. So I came down to Florida, enrolled in, at the time, what was Flight Safety Academy. Since since then, it's been uh, purchased by... UK company by the name of Skyborne Aviation, and I, uh, I've been working with them uh, since approximately May of last year. They they did the sale. So was, As a flight uh, instructor. That's correct. Yep. So I did my um, instrument commercial and flight instructor ratings at Flight Safety uh, prior to the sale, and then I worked as a full-time CFI double I MEI at the Flight Safety Academy and then when the sale went through we just transitioned over to Skyborne uh, and since approximately uh, early March of this year just earlier this month I transitioned to Envoy Air and I'm currently in uh, training there to fly the Embraer 175 out of Chicago so that's a lot of stuff so to start off with um I guess what what um, what's been your most since you've been doing some teaching? What's been your most interesting, I guess, lesson or maybe most interesting student? And you you know keep it anonymous, everything. But oh, yeah. uh, you know, like kind of the most interesting experience from this process of you going in as getting your instrument rating all the way to you know now you're retiring from your flight like, uh, flight instructor job to be an airline pilot. Like, there's got to be some good stories there. Like, oh, what, do you have one that sticks certainly. out or maybe two? Oh, certainly, yeah. Over the years, uh, I've had some some challenging uh, trainees and students that I've uh, been able some been able to push through and have them succeed. Others need some extra training, and um, you know, uh, maybe an instructor change at some point never hurts. You know, a different set of eyes. But um, yeah, stories that really stand out to me. Um, you know, fun stories. A lot of uh, great cross country flying. Uh, flight instructing that you get to do commercial rating in particular you do a lot of uh, long cross-country flight flights and then um, yeah some challenging times you know we've had some uh, issues with birds uh, ATC wrong ATC instructions um, you know challenging students that uh, that try to do things that you don't want them to do um, and you know you just uh, adapt and, and uh, overcome and learn from that <laughs> so do you have, uh, do you have one story you remember as being like the grand the grand story like the, the 
the best yeah. the best or like most harrowing flight lesson you ever yeah I'd got say, or uh, oh, I'm trying to think of a one that really stands out you know always uh, it's always nail biting picking your way through thunderstorms of a small piston aircraft in the summertime in Florida that's always a challenge and uh, I think actually uh, a couple months ago I had my most memorable flight with a well, very experienced NOAA Corps pilot who was down in Vero Beach training to uh, gain proficiency again flying like twins. Um, this particular pilot had worked for a different company, I believe it was Cape Air, flying their uh, Cessna twins. And they came down to Vero Beach to um, get some more multi-engine experience and, and currency prior to starting training on their twin otters over in uh, Lakeland they fly. So we uh, we did a flight over to Naples from Vero Beach. It was very, um, it was IFR and we departed, had a nice headwind on the way to Naples and there was a front moving through. So I'm halfway to Naples. We're around, uh, I'd say, um, I would think we're about 8,500 feet and we're on top of the layer. <laughs> and then, um, coming back we were going with the wind and the front had pushed through Naples so it was, it was VFR over there but it hadn't quite pushed through Vero yet so it was IFR and Vero Beach and we came into land the winds are blowing I would say 35 knots sustained um, gusting at 40 and we had calculated you know the winds were shifting so much we had calculated about a 25 knot crosswind component on the runway so this particular pilot had plenty of experience um, flying in these conditions in Montana wherever Cape Air flies they, they're a single pilot IFR in the very antiquated uh, Cessna I forget the airplane 310s I believe uh, with, with very old avionics oh, Cape Air Cape Air yeah, yeah. they all 402s oh 402s that's yeah. right yeah. so she um you know, she was very used to the uh, 430s. So we ended up, uh, we were in a Piper Seminole with the G500 panel and dual GTN 650s. So we uh, we came into Vero and they were advertising, I can't remember the Vitar or the ATIS, but uh, we calculated about a 25 knot crosswind component and I just let her take the landing. Uh, and I was just monitoring from the right seat and uh, it was challenging. We bouncing around pretty good. Uh, thought we would have to go around and divert to another airport, but we ended up gluing, gluing that Seminole onto the runway. And as of recent, that's my most memorable flight, just out of how fun it was and how challenging the weather was to get that flight completed. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, really, that that made flight instructing a lot of fun. That's really uh, cool. So. Well, uh, I guess to speed up a little bit to more what you're, what you're currently doing, I know I have a lot of interest, having never been in the airlines, about about that process. So I guess quick overview of kind of yeah. how you got your airline job, and so far I know you you know you haven't you know explained where you're at, and then basically yeah. everything that you've done up to this point, and like what your all of the requirements that you'll have to do from the time you get 1,500 hours to the time that you do your first flight in the Embraer. That's right. So as um, most people know, there is a pilot shortage. It's not uh, fiction; it is fact. Um, and 
the regional carriers are looking for pilots, you know, qualified applicants with either 1,500 flight hours or if you qualify for restricted ATP at uh, 1,000 or military, will take you, I believe, at 750 with prior military flight time, rotor transition programs, etc. So I applied to Envoy as a cadet back in 2019, and I was onboarded while I was working as a flight instructor. I actually was fully onboarded as an employee of American Airlines, and I received uh, payroll, travel, and health insurance benefits through the company. So that was a good perk. you know, it motivated me to continue building my time as a flight instructor, and then I knew there was a first officer position job offer waiting for me once I hit my ATP minimums. So, if there are folks out there that are considering an airline career, I highly recommend if you are set on a particular company to explore the options with that if they have a cadet program available, and then go ahead and apply early before you even reach your minimums. Uh, Not to say you can't go the traditional route, just wait and apply at that time once you hit your minimums. But if you already know where you want to go, by all means, apply early. So to explain the cadet program, basically, you can sign on before you get to the ATP minimums. That's correct. And then you just, basically, you're guaranteed a job and you just, they're kind of waiting you out until you get your 1,500 hours. That's right. And then they just say, okay, we've been waiting on you, here we go. As soon as you, I believe, with Envoy, as soon as you reach about 1460, when you're 40 hours to go, they will uh, go ahead and process your paperwork and um, invite you into, uh, first you'll go to ATP-CTP training, and that's an FAA-mandated course. It's approximately one week, and um, that's new, I believe, as of 2015, um, where you need to gain experience, and you actually, that course preps you and you've received the endorsement to go ahead and take the ATP written at the end of that week. So um, that's the first step. And then I just finished up indoctrination last week in Dallas where you go through company procedures, uh, you um, receive your EFB, uh, your KCM privileges, all of your credentialing, and then you just go through company policies, procedures, you'll go over the flight manual and the um, various other documents that are now all nicely uh, organized in an app and and you begin to study that. So now I'm home for approximately three weeks while I'll be doing uh, computer-based training at home for systems and then I will return to Dallas and complete my systems training, knowledge validation, and then I will do my procedures validation and then I'll actually enter a simulator and do a maneuvers validation and actually do my ATP more or less a check ride, and then you will go ahead and uh, do IOE, which is called initial operating experience, and then you will be released to fly on the line. So what the airlines do is what's called AQP training, very similar to what a Part 141 flight school does with in-house check rides. The airlines have a similar agreement with the FAA where they have a specific syllabus that they will uh, give, and you will actually all of the modules in the training and in return you will receive your uh, temporary ATP certificate so it's a really nicely laid out you know what to expect and it's very modulated and modular and you can um, uh, plan ahead which is nice
what do you think the timeline's going to be from from the time that you, you know you're kind of in the middle of it from the time that you got your call from Envoy saying okay we're going to do this to the time that you take your first flight what would you say three for, months for your first IOE flight it's about two and a half months two I'd say half, yeah. yeah a couple uh, trips to headquarters yeah. in Dallas and that's right uh, yeah you know your computer training and it's all dynamic you know there's simulator uh, simulators breakdown uh, there might be a class ahead that uh, you know there's unforeseen circumstances where they might have to uh, delay some folks behind them and uh, as you know with the airlines it's all about seniority right so you can bid on equipment and base based on your seniority number so uh, if, if uh, there's interest in Envoy the way it works is you receive your seniority number on day one of orientation. I, I believe there are uh, companies out there that may give you seniority numbers uh, when you are a cadet. I'm not sure if, uh, which companies those are, but um, uh, more specifically with the Envoy Air, they uh, issue seniority at orientation day one. And so to the you know, and this, your seniority number obviously it changes, but that from so from that point forward, it, it stays with you, That's and right. uh, you want a higher number, and that changes based on what base you're at, correct? Or that uh, changes, uh, from what I understand, uh, it changes based on how many people enter training behind you. That's the big factor. Okay. So uh, whatever number you are, and then you have a certain number of orientation classes that begin behind you. You're already building seniority. And uh, as you know right now, the um, post-COVID flying world, especially in the 121 world, uh, there is a big pilot shortage. A lot of the major air carriers are seeking qualified captains from regionals, and they are either uh, getting them through the flow with American, or they're uh, taking them out of uh, left seats of regionals and going right into one particular case. There was a envoy captain who uh, applied and went directly to the right seat of a Boeing Triple Seven for United. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, uh, I never thought about the bidding. Yeah, being uh, I was just thinking about you know people ahead of you higher than you quitting, but I never really yes. thought about them adding people on the bottom. Is essentially pushing you up. That's correct. Yep, it's all about the flow and, and uh, kind of moving up through the uh, through the uh, seniority list. And right now things are happening so quickly. Um, I can't speak for other companies again, but Envoy, they say that, you know, with the current pace of upgrades and experience that you can expect once you hit your thousand hours of uh, PIC, or, or sorry, thousand hours of uh, multi-engine turbine time, you can expect to upgrade to captain within approximately a year. So it used to be three to four years. And now also, shrunk down. depending on what base you're at, is depending on how much you fly or not so much? Um... That's a good question. Um, I don't really know the answer to that, but I think um, I know for Miami with Envoy, their base down there, they picked up a lot of Caribbean routes. I believe they announced just this week that they're doing flights to Jamaica, Montego Bay, I believe, and um, they picked up flying in a lot more routes in Miami. I think Chicago is pretty busy. Obviously, Dallas is their main hub that they do a lot of their, uh, over 50% of their flights are or Dallas. So those are the three bases for anyone that's wondering with Envoy. Uh, they used to have a base in LaGuardia that was closed during COVID, and uh, they now have Dallas as their main hub. That's where their headquarters are located in Irving, Texas, just north of uh, DFW Airport, and then Chicago O'Hare and Miami International. And 
so when you when you got your assignment for the for for the plane and for your base, that was that was given to you based on seniority already of the cadets, or how did you you didn't pick That's that? Or? Nope. Yep. So we um, as a uh, new hire, you are assigned a base and, and equipment. So with Envoy, they had a bunch of vacancies in Chicago, so that's where the need was. So they, uh, we had a class of approximately 16, and all 16 of us were assigned Miami, or I'm sorry, Chicago, uh, 175. And with that said, on the computer, I was able to bid. I live here in South Florida, so I'd like to get the Miami base as soon as possible. So I was able to go into the computer system and actually bid during training for the Miami base, so I'm waiting to hear uh, when, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when that goes through. So it could take two to three bidding cycles before you are given your preferred base. That's honestly really fast. And the bidding cycle is yeah, one so, month? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're looking at, by the end of the yeah. year, no doubt you'll be a Miami-based pilot. That's right, yeah. As long as you can uh, fly at that base if they have the same equipment. For example, uh, Envoy currently flies the Ember 145, and the Embraer 175, which is a little larger regional jet, um, and the Miami base strictly flies the 175. So, for example, if I had been assigned the 145, it would have been ineligible to fly out of the Miami base. Yeah. It would have been Chicago or Dallas. So both the other two bases fly the 145s as well? That's correct. And Envoy, the company itself, is actually slowly phasing out the 145s. And they're, what I hear, they're trying to go to an all-175 fleet. Okay. So that'll be yeah. yeah, that'll be nice for you because you're already kind of starting on the future-proofed airplane. That's right. Not that you should have to stay very long, but you won't have to pretty much your entire life in Envoy. You're not going to have to retrain. That's right. Yeah, I won't be uh, going back for another type. Yeah. Okay. And did they? Um, I know that you know. There's people, friends, other friends I have with the airlines and everything. They get pretty advanced in how they bid for the trips, and they have all these tips and tricks and everything. Is yes. Do they teach you how to bid for the trips at all, or do they just kind of say, "Here's the computer program, figure it out"? It's a little tricky at first. The computer system is actually from the 1960s that they use. It hasn't failed since then, and they um, they still use that same system. And uh, some of the captains that are uh, upgrading to the 175, we did have one captain in our class that kind of showed everybody else what, how to bid and whatnot. Uh, but again, it's uh, it's pretty antiquated, but it is very reliable. That's why they're using it. So, so have you picked up on any tips and yes. tricks yet on how to bid? Oh, uh, just little. Uh, there's a PowerPoint presentation that we were uh, given on how to how to bid and. How to bid your monthly schedules and everything, but uh, oh, that's nice. It's going to take some time to really get it down pat. Yeah, so. man, that's that's really cool. We, um, you know, are you? Um, what's the what's the thing that you're most excited for? Do you think other than the money? Oh, I mean the uh, flying of turbine aircraft. I've been flying Pipers strictly in Vera Beach at Skyborne Academy. They fly Piper Warriors. G500, Glass Avionics, and uh, Piper Aeros and Piper Seminoles. So, you know, the fastest, most complex aircraft I've flown to date is a uh, Piper Seminole. Uh, so it's going to be nice to fly something with uh, a lot more automation. The Ember 175 is more or less a flying computer. And you are there to uh, monitor and uh, control the automation. That's, uh, I mean, you haven't gone through systems training or anything yet. Yeah. Is there, um, 
for the airplane training that you have done, is there anything that kind of sticks out to you on the 175 that's really unique or really cool or just something that you gravitated yeah. to yet? One thing I really like about the 175, it does have auto throttles, which a lot of uh, regional jets do not. Uh, the 145 does not. I can't speak for the CRJ. I don't know uh, if uh, they do have auto throttles. Not sure either. Not sure about the 900s or not. Uh, maybe somebody uh, works at PSA might know. But, uh, yeah, a lot more automation. Uh, and uh, very, uh, I hear it's a very powerful and slippery aircraft, so it takes a lot to slow it down. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward, forward to flying it. What, um, what, uh, what made you choose Envoy? Or, <clears throat> yeah, at the time I was researching uh, various companies. I knew I wanted to fly more technologically advanced aircraft and also um, at the time I was looking at where I wanted to live and being here in Florida Envoy is one of the only if not the only regional carrier with a base in Florida so that was a factor uh, in selecting that company and um, you know with the uh, flow they have with American Airlines it is attractive to uh, pilots that are interested in a career in American the benefit of the flow, uh, you can go to the right seat of a major carrier and be American Airlines without uh, another interview. So that's a good perk. Uh, not to you know, not to say you, you can't interview outside the flow. There have been pilots that have been picked up before they flow, or there's lots of other companies out there that are uh, available. So. Yeah, and the um, so pretty much anybody can pick, or they can pick whichever regional. You know, best suits their home life, if, in a sense. That's correct. Yeah, if you know where you want to live, you maybe choose a regional that uh, is close to your your home base. And um, you know, with the regionals being so dynamic, you know, if you're not assigned, for me, for example, I'm uh, I did receive the Miami selection that I was hoping for, but I know eventually that I will be able to transfer out of Chicago down to Florida. So. Uh, that applies to all regional carriers. If you live in Charlotte and you decide you want to work for PSA, uh, that might be a good choice. And maybe you're assigned a junior base initially, but uh, you know, with time you can transfer to the, the Charlotte base and live close to home. I do hear from a lot of pilots living in base, your quality of life goes up significantly. So uh, if you're looking to avoid, you know, buying a crash pad and commuting, uh, living in base is recommended, but it's not required. Some people make it work. Uh, it just depends on your s personal situation and uh, factors. Yeah, you were telling me about the crash pad stuff this morning for yeah. a uh, for somebody who's never done airlines or charter. That's, That's right. uh, how'd you how'd you find how do you find your crash pads and if, yeah. is that just something so there, you stumbled upon? There's just websites out there. Uh, I was just researching uh, the other day about looking I'm looking into crash pads because uh, I'll be commuting on reserve. So I'll need to fly up the night before my uh, reserve period starts and uh, find a crash pad. So there was a couple of folks up in the Chicago area that were advertising uh, townhouses with basically bunk rooms. And it's, I, I guess, from what I understand, I've never experienced it yet, but uh, it's like glorified summer camp and you're sharing a, a room with a bunch of other pilots and uh, you're just there to lay your head down on a pillow. And then you go sit reserve or do a trip so uh, uh, the average price I found were about $200 a month for a crash pad. So, okay. 
really not bad in yeah. Chicago, as yeah. long as it's in a safe area. That's right. Yeah, you want to be close to the Blue Line train, so you can get right on the train and head right to the airport. That's so, uh, up there. <laughs> so yeah, flying the flying the new airplanes and learning all the new stuff. And yes, just, uh, you're you're still, I guess, never wavering from the time that you got on. You're still excited about going and yes, yes, uh, learning all your new stuff. I guess that's kind of you know as long as I've known you, about four or five years now almost. And, it's just, uh, this is kind of the, the, the final lap, of the, you know, the Daytona 500, so to speak. So That's we've right. We've known each other. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And they say, you know, if, you're, if your goal is to be an American Airlines like, 777 captain, uh, this is the, the Envoy interview. is the last interview you'll ever have to do uh, if, you, if you decide to float. Uh, so that is a uh, very attractive um, element to, you know, uh, achieving that dream of flying a wide-body aircraft for a major uh, legacy carrier. So that's what you so, want to do? You want to stay at the airlines for forever and, or, uh, you know, make your way up through American and that's, fly triple seven? Stay tuned. You never know what I'll, <laughs> what I'll be doing. Uh, you know, there's so many avenues in aviation. Uh, you know, I've, I'm just going to kind of play each uh, play as it comes and see where I end up. But that uh, American Airlines job is there for me if I desire. So, that's awesome. Uh, well, uh, kind of ha- halfway through, you yeah. want to uh, you want to flip it. You can interview me, ask me about play, because I feel like what yes. I do is the complete opposite of what you what That's you're, right. you're you're starting up and yeah, so kind of kind of compare and contrast the two different so like, I two know, different worlds, uh, really. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, I know we met at Flight Safety Academy. Uh, what year was that? Twenty seventeen. Yeah, and we were both in commercial multi ground school together when yep. we met, and I know. Um, you went a different route, so tell me about your path after um, after flight safety. And, yeah, so uh, you ended up doing flight safety was a was a short, brief, but um, eye opening experience for me. You know, moved moved uh, had lots of friends in aviation in Texas where I grew up. Um, flew lots of different stuff, lots of different people, but none of it was really structured. Um, you know, it was just a little bit of instruction here and there, trying to knock out my ratings, but. Um, wanted to pack up and move and go somewhere different and explore new things. Um, so I knew from flying around in the citation that all of the guys went to uh, flight safety. So I was like, oh, this flight safety academy for people that are starting, this is going to be great. And uh, so that's how I picked Vero Beach and uh, went through that for a little bit. Long story short, school the 141 world didn't really work out for me. Moved on, finished the rest of my stuff up, part 61, and... Um, yeah, I ended up ended up kind of continuing on that path, but we've always 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 stayed in touch. Yes, and, yes, uh, good friends. But yeah, it, um, kind of totally different. Unlike unlike Mike, never or you, I, I never had never had any airline aspirations. Um, always wanted to stay corporate. Something that was important to me was knowing the airplane that I was flying, you know, repetitively, and knowing the person that I was sitting next to was, you know, repetitively was really important for me, yes. and as well as you know knowing and kind of building a relationship with the people in the back um just all those things were really really interesting so yes even though um even though the pay isn't quite there with a you know a major airline line pilot but um you know it gets to do other other things instead i know your most recent uh, job here uh, kind of describe what you're doing now and uh kind of the extra perks that are associated with uh flying yeah so i uh so I'm flying for a for a family. It's basically a it's a really large family office. Um, they have they have three airplanes. 
we've got a Citation 10 Plus, which is kind of the, the main transporter. Um, when we run in more, pretty much like a business jet. Yeah. Um, then we've got a Cirrus SR22 that's 2006. Um, the um, owner of the airplane, she's a pilot, and uh, but I kind of took it away from her, uh, sort of, to uh, to run things back and forth. That's just kind of our utilitarian airplane. I can pick up stuff and and take it across to uh, to their other properties, go drop things off, and uh, if we just have to move one or two people, it's obviously exponentially cheaper than flying the the 10 plus. Yes. Um, Another cool thing, which you've gotten to ride around with me now, um, we've got a little Icon A5 light sporting amphibian. So um, I'm really covering the whole range of airplanes, you know, everything from the fastest currently operating civilian airplane in the world all the way down to, a, you know, a thousand pound little light sport. The wings fold up, you can pull it on a trailer. And, um, you know, so, so I've got a, kind of a wide variety of things uh, that we're doing now. And I know your uh, repertoire, you've got something over... How many airplanes in your logbook? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm somewhere in the range of somewhere in between 80 and 90 now, yes. I think. Oh, uh, so that's a different, different wing airplanes. Uh, yeah, wow. real, uh, real happy about yes. that. I think it'll be cool to hit the 100 mark. Uh, say you've flown 100 different types of airplanes. Is there so. a particular airplane that stands out as your most favorite uh, experience, or? Um, um, uh, we've got lots of stories, of course. It's kind of, it's kind of, kind of like you right now. I'm kind of books in on the 10 plus i'm trying to do a pse uh course this august to get transitioned over so um you know any anything when anybody asks about airplanes right now you kind of get re, kind of regurgitate 10 plus information <laughs> um but i will say it's a it's a really cool airplane you know they they only made 32 of them um you know they made a lot of 10s okay. um, they made 32 10 pluses the one we have was built for NetJets uh, as a demonstrator and okay. it was basically Net, NetJets buying this airplane, the way I understand it, is was the make or break for the airframe. Uh, you know, if NetJets bought it and bought, you know, made a bulk purchase, they were going to keep making them. If they didn't, that was going to kind of kill the airframe. And the reason for that is the, you know, the 10 Plus is great in all of its performance, but it's, it's like a big sports car. Uh, and um, you know, everybody right now the trendy thing is to have a large cabin you know no, no one's no one's really going to care if the plane goes 0.82 or 0.935 that 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 really you know that 15 or 20 minutes doesn't matter to somebody if uh -huh. they have a couch with a big 40 inch tv in the back and you know a bigger kitchen a bigger bathroom a bigger you know that that so that's kind of where the market's going so you're getting all your legacies your prey tours the uh, Challenger 350 series sells well. Sovereigns, you know, that's a really big market. Uh -huh. And uh, the 10 Plus was kind of just, kind of just an oddball in there. You know, it's a it's a narrow cabin. Um, you know, and, and and albeit really fast, and honestly, it's pretty fuel efficient for as fast as you're going. It um, it is a it's a smaller cabin, and that just that was not really selling for them. Unfortunately, NetJets ended up not making the purchase. We have. Um, so then um, after our airplane, they decided they had some parts ready. So they ended up building a handful more airplanes and then closing down the production facility. Oh, wow. Um, so no more 10 pluses. Um, but uh, like I was telling telling you, the, the, the 10 plus over a classic 10 is really substantial. They extended the fuselage between the entry door and the back of the cockpit by 18 inches. So you get a bigger galley. In a, um, there's there's a little pilot closet basically we can throw our backpacks into and um, it also helps with the landing characteristics when you the 
it's, you know, for any, you hadn't seen it up close, but, you know, the 10 plus is about halfway, half, half the airplane's engine, you know, and, and, oh, it, yeah. and it makes a lot of thrust and, and it has a tendency to want to almost wheelie when you, when you pull the thrust reversers out. And so you have to really push the nose down and hold the nose down when you first get the thrust reversers out. And, um, apparently I haven't flown a classic 10, but the classic 10s are a lot more apt to want to really raise that nose up when you pull the thrust reversers out. Yeah. So extending the fuselage another 18 inches kind of helps CG shift you a little bit more forward. So it's more of a, it's more stable on landing. Um, the other big, big thing is, um, it has Garmin 5000 in it instead of the Honeywell system. So you've got four G, uh, GTC touchscreens to control pretty much everything in the airplane, as well as um, two PFDs and one MFD. Okay. Um, it's all Garmin Autopilot. It's pretty much Garmin everything, and um, that's a blast. Uh, it's really easy to transition out of, you know, if you're flying King Airs with a Garmin 3000 or, you know, even like M600s or stuff like that, you, know, you can jump in the 10 plus and, and avionics wise you're eight tenths of the way there you're, you're already at um, home. Yeah. the other two small modifications um they tuned up the engine so we get a little bit more thrust and that was kind of that's that was i'm pretty sure that was just a software tune um and the reason they did that is to beat out the g650 because the, the g650 kind of stole away the fastest civilian airplane title and citations like well our airframe can handle it let's give them another 0.005 of a knot of a mock Yes, and uh, so they turned up the thrust just a little bit, and um, the very last change uh, that's at least somewhat significant is the um, winglets, and uh, that shaves your time to climb down by 40 minutes. So that's huge. Um, and when you when you change your when you turn down, um, you know the the time to climb because we're always operating in the 40,000s, you know, I mean, we, we, we're, we're never really in the 30s unless we're on the way up or on the way down, um, and so, so the winglets are really nice, in fact, a lot of the classic 10s have had winglets put back on, and, uh, Textron had a program that they called the, uh, I want to say it was called the Elite program, but they would upgrade the interior to a 10 plus interior for the cabin, okay, and stick the winglets on it, and, um, that, that was, I guess, a pretty successful program for them. But uh, long story short, that's kind of that's kind of my that's kind of my new bird. That's that's what I'm learning the most about. I find it really fascinating. I can't wait to. Uh, well, I've already in the right seat, smashed my personal speed record and my altitude record by you know thousands of feet and point point one and some change mocks. So so. Um, but still hadn't gotten it up to its max speed. The .935 is still still holding in, and I haven't gotten it up to 51,000 yet. Uh, but that'll be soon. That, that flight will happen soon. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, uh, like I said, it's a it's a heck of a good airplane. I mean, we're burning 2,000 pounds of fuel an hour at altitude for moving nine people and and uh, you know 700 pounds of luggage, and we're going nine tenths the speed of sound. Like you, the economics of that are honestly pretty hard to beat yes. um, I was studying for a plane I was gonna fly before it was a Gulfstream 100 and really I thought that was a little missile and th this is this kind of crushes it in every aspect <laughs> uh, which is exciting but, Excellent. but yeah and then on the uh, I guess I could talk about on the on the other end of that spectrum is the icon yes. we're burning two and a half gallons an hour with one passenger 50 pounds of luggage <laughs> 
and uh, we're doing about 80 knots. So, uh, but you know, you can't land the tin in the water, but the icon's okay. So the icon's like a fun little toy. Yeah, that's yeah. a fun little toy for us, and the wings fold right up, and um, you can you can put it on a trailer. Icon has a custom built trailer, um, but it'll it'll go in an eight foot door enclosed car trailer, and uh, or I'm sorry, nine foot door enclosed car trailer, and um, you can just you can tow it around because you know at 80 knots it's not really practical to go cross country um, ours has been cross country before but it wasn't with me flying um, it's really much easier just to throw it on the trailer and, and pull it where you want it to go yes it is but, Excellent. but so, yeah with that uh, wide repertoire of aircraft do you have a uh, particular story whether it be memorable or uh, you know in a, in a uh, memorable uh, event or maybe a not so um, uh, fun time that you well you got lots of got it. lots of fun ones but I will say there was one not so fun one that uh, when I was in college I won a college essay with it uh, best friend and I were flying a, a T210 November really gorgeous airplane onboard radar everything and uh, we were departing from San Antonio and uh, we were IFR it was dark outside front had moved through real aggressive kind of South Texas front and uh, we were ready to head back east, going back to, towards uh, Houston. Took off, everything was great, weather was good, and uh, ATC started vectoring us. We got into some IMC, and uh, we were flying around IMC, and it started getting bumpy. And we had our radar up, and it wasn't really showing anything, and uh, maybe a little bit of green here and there. And uh, it was getting worse, and worse, and worse. And uh, we, you know, we got, we were we were getting where we we had we had lost control of the airplane. I mean we were we were in nasty nasty stuff. Of course we're kind of frantically asking ATC for for a vector out, but unfortunately with whatever was going on with the storm, not only could we not really get a good picture of it on the radar, ATC was showing on their radar that we should have been in the free and clear, uh, you know, not nowhere near anything dangerous, much less what we were, you know, or not not near any rain, but definitely no no danger that we were in. Yes. And uh, so that was that was pretty scary, you know. We, we were we, me and my friend, we rode it out, popped out the other side, and then we watched a good half hour lightning show as we were, you know, kind of kind of dragging away from the I storm. think I remember the video uh, of that that you saw. Yeah, I have some pictures, I have some yes. videos of the lightning, um, you know, and, and obviously it kind of elongated that story, but I ended up winning a, winning a, a, a contest in college for it, okay. but um. Yeah, that was that was a memorable story. Um, of course, I loved my. Um, I flew flew after Hurricane Dorian. Did a ton of uh, relief flights out in the Bahamas. That was a blast. I was in a Cheyenne. I was flying to Aztec, flying a 402. Um, you know, and that was that was incredible. Just to you know, these people. I mean, I was out there less than 24 hours after the storm hit, and uh, you know, just just helping people. You know, I, I was really fortunate. The guy I was flying, or the guy who owned the airplane. Uh, you know, basically just handed me credit card and said, "Hey, go help people." You know, I, I just, I just take your time. You know, take your time. Take the airplane. Take all the fuel. Put it on my card. You know, these people need to go help them, and uh, that's always stuck with me. Is oh, uh, you know something that I'd want to do if I was ever in the position to be able to do it, and, and the need be there. You yes. know, I mean, just kind of that selfless act. Um, same thing with the guy I'm working for now. You know, he he has uh, quite a few boats and. He was out there pretty much the same thing as us, you know, the same thing as me when 
when I was flying. He, he had the boats out there and uh, bringing in supplies and just just helping people, kind of that that selfless act. That's, um, that's wonderful. So that's a, that's another you know good memory that I have of, of what aviation can do. I feel like private aviation gets a really bad rap, uh, you know, especially now. You know, climate change this and you know worried about footprints and everything like that. But um, you know we're we're really with these airplanes able to accomplish something that no one else can do. Yes. And, and I hold that close to my heart. And I know you've done some other charitable work with with uh, your own airplane, correct? Uh, you've done yeah. some uh, med flights and. Uh, yes, yeah, so we worked uh, um, back in Texas. Worked with a program called Pilots for Patients. Um, so we we go pretty much all the time. It was somewhere in Louisiana. We go pick them up and uh, take them to the Houston Medical Center for cancer treatment. Um, pretty much, almost it was all almost all cancer treatment. And uh, once they recovered, we'd take them back home. And you know that was that was a 50-minute flight. It was not costing us but a few hundred dollars, and it was saving them hours and hours in a car. Or you know potentially not even allow. You know that was the only way they were going to get to their treatment facility. Um, you know some of the, some of these people just couldn't have handled sitting for that long and uh so that was great i uh, got to do that uh so when i moved to florida and uh ended up purchasing my own airplane again sold it uh didn't have an airplane of my own when i lived in texas bought one when i got to florida um ended up joining angel flight southeast and uh you know so that that was a little bit different of an operation because they are technically national okay uh so that was kind of cool to be able to um you know, get signed back up and help some people. I uh, also did a couple trips with a friend that, um, gosh, I can't think of the organization, but we went and picked up rescue dogs. And, yeah. Pilots uh, for Pauls? Pilots for Pauls, that's what it was. Yeah. So we did Pilots for Pauls. Uh, granted, I wasn't, you know, technically in charge of that, but I, I rode with them because we had a few long days doing that. Um, that was always exciting. But, um, yeah, I really that's kind of want to... I love spreading the message of, you know, the good things that we can do with these airplanes and, right. and with these skills. Because uh, I feel like the, the good oftentimes isn't spread nearly a, nearly as much as it should be. Yeah, I think the average person might think, like, you know, Part 91 flying is that typical, uh, you know, uh, not to stereotype, but that typical doctor that might be going out on Saturday to get the $200 hamburger and just throwing the airplane in the hangar after that but yeah there's just, a lot more to it, it yeah just like. kind of kind of wasting yeah. money and, yeah. and polluting the environment yeah. and uh you know which which really you know these, these are more more oftentimes you know that's that's just not the case yeah. you know we're, we're flying around trying to get a job done and uh trying to oftentimes trying to help people and trying to do right. trying to do good excellent. Excellent. but uh, yeah so that's that's um that kind of kind of wraps up my more recent experience and, and story time and um, yeah just having a blast and flying around doing what we can to help people and uh, get the job done and, uh, you're, you're saying is part 91 has more fun right yeah yeah <laughs> I, uh, I didn't start that but I uh, <laughs> definitely once I did see it I tried yeah. to I tried to gravitate to it because I, I do I oh, do yes. like it and uh it especially makes me feel better about myself when all my airline friends are calling, telling me how they're getting triple pay trips everywhere. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's uh, that's gonna be you one day. But back, uh, back, back to what you're doing. Do you, um, what, um, you know, I guess what do you do? You have an ultimate, an ultimate goal in, in doing your 
you're flying at Convoy slash American? Like, is there one thing that you're excited about more than the other? Like, we kind of talked about a little bit flying the new jet, but yeah. kind of a higher mission, I guess, or what something Oh, certainly. Excited about? I have the desire someday to, to own my own airplane and do some uh, philanthropic work, you know, whether it be Pilots for Paws, Angel Bed Flight, etc. And, uh, and uh, also, I really uh, enjoy teaching. You know, I, I'm always going to keep my CFI current and teach new pilots uh, how to fly. Uh, I think spreading that uh, joy of flight is really important, and, uh, and I highly recommend for folks listening to this podcast, if you're considering a career in aviation, now is a good time to uh, take that discovery flight. Maybe go do your air show. I know Sun and Fun is coming up here in Florida in a couple weeks, if you're in the area. Uh, definitely go to Lakeland and check out Sun and Fun. It's a really great... Yeah, second largest uh, air show in the country. That's right, that's right. And the aviation community is very tight-knit, and you know, a lot of people know other folks, and it's a, it's just a, it's a lifestyle. So, uh, again, if you're considering the career, uh, if you're making that career change, or you're tired of flying that desk, or if you're, uh, you know, ready for something different, uh, you know, try out aviation, see if it's for you. So what the envoy recruiter told you? Are you tired of flying that desk? <laughs> I think it was just something I threw in there. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I worked in healthcare prior to this, and I, I do miss it. I actually hope to go back one day and, and do volunteer, whether it be volunteer work or part-time work. And uh, healthcare, you know, uh, yeah, combine the two someday. Uh, but uh, Tell them, uh, tell them, you know, speaking of sun and fun, I mean, yeah. tell them, you know, not only can you go camp under your airplane and go... Um, you know, we'll go walk around. You can stay in a hotel, but uh, tell them how tell them how we like to do sun and fun. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So um, the last couple of years, we've had access to an RV, and we we go over for the weekend, and uh, it's a great time to camp out and just soak up everything aviation. You know, uh, particularly last year, I know you went early and got a great parking spot, and we were able to sit on top of the RV in our lawn chairs and watch airplanes taking off at the last day when they were leaving, just launching uh, departures. So it really um, is a great event to be exposed to everything aviation, whether it be World War II Warbirds all the way up to the latest and greatest 787 Dreamliner. Um, there's another event this summer uh, coming up that's uh, in Wisconsin. Oshkosh. That's called Oshkosh. That's actually the largest aviation event in the country. Maybe and, even the uh, world. It might be. I think it's like three or four times the size of Sun and Fun. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of visitors, yeah. tens of thousands of airplanes. That That's usually in mid to late July. I don't know the specific dates for this year, but um, that's another recommended event to get into aviation. Um, I was involved in the Civil Air Patrol for a short time. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Up in Vermont. So I did the uh, Vermont Wing of the Civil Air Patrol. That actually got me some cheap or even free flying, which was really nice. Um, so we were able to do some sorties. We coordinated with the local air guard units, and we did everything from search and rescue to uh, we practiced being a uh, you know a, a conflict air tra- uh, aircraft in a TFR. We were actually intercepted once by a uh, F-16 as practice. Was, oh man, how was, was that? Good time. It was fun. We were we were trying to get into our slow flight, and the fighter pilot was trying to keep up with us and <laughs> try to slow his jet down, but. Uh, Obviously, it didn't work out too well for him to go as slow as we were going. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, there's just so much you can do. That's uh, uh, really cool. How, um, yeah, I have to put in something. Your, uh, your, your, your 
better man than me. I, I've never finished my uh, flight instructor ratings, and uh, you know, I, I love helping people out, love teaching people new things, but never really could do the flight instruction thing. I just, uh, I don't know, I don't know why I never did. But uh, yeah, is there a, is there a favorite part of teaching teaching people? Yeah, it, it is a challenge, and some days are challenging, and some days are very enjoyable. My favorite, I think, my favorite moment in the instructing uh, kind of teaching somebody from zero hours is that first solo flight watching somebody get in the aircraft and you shut that door and in a piper um, it's not like a cessna where there's doors on both sides the piper uh, cherokee or the warrior as some people know it has the door on the right side of the aircraft and the student is sitting on the left seat typically so you actually as the instructor you stand on that wing and you shut that door and the student looks over to you and they know it's they're flying the airplane for the first time you in it. I mean, I feel like, and, I feel like uh, everybody remembers their, yeah. their first solo. And yeah. I'm sure they've got the butterflies in the stomach, but I do too. As their instructor, I, I step off of that wing and I'm feeling my heart rate go up as they are taxiing out to the runway for the first time by themselves. It's very, uh, you know, it's very uh, intimidating, but it's extremely rewarding. You know, they've had the training up to that point. They know what to do and they just go fly. And they, they've, they've taken off and landed that airplane many times before they just do what they've been trained to do and it's a great feeling when they pull up to the ramp typically if they do it in summertime in florida they're dripping sweat but uh there's no air conditioning in these pipers by the way and they um, yeah we go and celebrate uh after that and it's a great feeling to see somebody solo an aircraft and then obviously get their licenses and their certifications after that but uh, that first solo is usually the one that sticks that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like everybody remembers their first solo. There are pilots. And, uh, yeah. yeah, just think about it as the instructor. Would you think you'd consider yourself a uh, a tough instructor? Like, how would you how would you classify yourself? I'm sure your students um, would say something different than you anyway. But. Yeah, I've really thought about my self reflection. I would say I'm fair, but I'm also safety conscious. So you know, safety is paramount. No matter if you're working at a you know, small part 61 flight school or major 121 carrier, safety uh, is number one. So, um, you know, with that said, um, I'm all about safety, but I'm also able to let the student explore a little bit, you know, their limitations and the limitations of the aircraft with safety in mind, of course. Um, but I would classify myself as thorough, fair, and uh, safety conscious. Hey, yeah, so. that's pretty good. Well, that's um, well, that's awesome. Well, um, thanks for thanks for sitting here with me and and having a good talk. And uh, I learned some new stuff, and hopefully everybody else did too. And certainly, well, uh, after you get back on your on your airline, or once you get all the way through your airline training, you'll have to um, come back on and talk about. Hey, now I'm officially an airline pilot. Here's what here's what I thought I knew, and here's what's changed, and here's what's good, and here's what's bad. And that's right. There's a famous uh, saying in aviation. Good pilots always learning, so you're never, if you're a, you know, 50-hour private pilot or a 20,000-hour ATP, you're always learning, so that, that always sticks, and um, I'm looking forward to coming back on here in a few months to uh, update you all on my progress and what I've learned throughout training for uh, flying for a regional carrier. Awesome, awesome. We're both looking forward to it. And, uh, thanks again for having me. Uh-huh.